need to feed my spirit. Listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown, and for episode five, I've got the lovely Steve Campwell. He's a stand up comedian. He's been on a lot of great podcasts like The Crab Feast. Definitely look him up to hear a couple stories that he shares a little bit more in depth. But you know, we're going to talk about how he left Utah for an Eskimo village at 19, found a wife began to doubt reality after a salvia trip and ultimately found a community in stand-up comedy um so i think you'll definitely enjoy this episode and again please reach out if you have any concerns if you just want to talk um my email is wait you are mormon at gmail.com or you can reach me on instagram at wait you are mormon podcast i'd love to hear from you and if you're enjoying what you hear please find us on apple podcasts subscribe leave a review it really helps us get exposure and helps us share these stories that need to be heard so that's all i've got for you enjoy thanks for joining me today uh so tell us a little about who you are and what brings you on the podcast what brings me on the podcast i'm a stand-up comic who's well known for being a former mormon and I got a lot of Mormon stories, and I was on the Crab Feast a few times, and I think that's where you saw me. So you reached out and uh, asked if I would come in and talk to you about being former Mormon. And, uh, yeah, I'm always down to talk about that. that. That shit ate 40 years of my life, seven generations of my family. Oh, wow. So you were very deep in it. We were there. We were. The, I was. My family was in it on both sides, my mother's, mother's side and my father's side. We're in it since the very beginning. The Binghams were in it since Nauvoo, and the Cantwells joined in Ireland and rode a boat over through before there was Ellis Island. They came into Louisiana, oh, so they wow. came through the Gulf of Mexico and landed in Louisiana when that was as far west as you could get. Got out and built handcarts with a bunch of other Mormons and left a little too late in the season. And everybody got cholera, and it's essentially, you know, it was the Martin Handcart Company. That's oh, the, wow. My family came to Utah, and the Binghams came out with Brigham Young in that first wagon train that left, and uh, and the Cantwells came out a few years later as Irish uh, immigrants, but in a doom. The Martin and Willie Handcart Companies were this famous Mormon handcart company that got stranded in the mountains of Wyoming and didn't have anything to eat and almost died you know they all got cholera they were burying sometimes 60 people in a night you know so it was uh it was a decimation but the Cantwells made it the Cantwells made it through the handcart company unscathed but as soon as they got to utah the mom died the first night in in their new home the the chimney caught fire and there was a fire and the mom died and so we had 12 kids that all had to get farmed out to other people in the community and that just wrecked him emotionally and because he couldn't stop crying uh, Brigham Young sent him north to Cache Valley to fight the Indians because there was a huge Indian war going on up there. So he just oh wanting to die, I think, just went to went to what became Smithfield, Utah with Porter Rockwell and just started slugging it out with the Indians. Uh, killed all the Indians in uh, in Smithfield and then stayed in, in Smithfield and never never got remarried. Just was kind of sad his whole life. He opened a Pony Express 
outlet so where he would take care of the horses that the pony express would come swap out as they would ride through on the mail service and that's just what he did his whole life he would just walk around on foot and deliver the mail and take care of the pony express horses and until he died wow that's really intense you should yeah. uh pitch that as like an hbo series or something <laughs> You know I mean? My family and it's genocide. Exactly. Embellish it a little bit, you know, get that good <laughs> HBO nudity, maybe some Donner party. Yeah. Uh, connections cannibalism. to it. a little cannibalism, just kind of beef it up a little bit. But that's really crazy. Plural women. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you, you see my vision. So maybe we, <laughs> maybe we should team up and, and get that going. But so I know you live in Houston, Texas now, but did you grow up in Smithfield, Utah? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Smithfield. My family was one of the first people there, so they kind of split the town up amongst those first 12 families or so. And so they had a huge tract of land that was their farm. And slowly that, as the family grew, that would get subdivided. And so by the time that I was born, I, my, my dad built a little house on what was probably the last little bit of, of the real estate that my family could borrow and, and, and trade around. So, But I lived within eight blocks four to eight blocks of almost all of my family it was wow. like it was like i lived in cantwell town you oh, know? Wow. so i grew up every day when i would walk to school i would walk to school past both of my grandparents houses and past most of my aunts and uncles houses oh. yes yeah, so it was a very protected kind of snow globe type of an environment smithfield does not have any non-mormons so there was no dissenting viewpoint whatsoever mm. about the church i never had a friend go what you know, so everybody I knew was wearing garments. Everybody that I knew was going to the temple and, and just that was just reality for me. I never questioned it for us until I did. Yeah, I was just about to ask that, like, because my knowledge of Utah is very limited to Salt Lake City, you know, just going out to the national parks and things like that. And then when I hear Smithfield, the first thing I think of is like pork and, and things like that. Um, yeah. So I was going to ask if you, you know, if your parents, like your family upbringing was more of the Jack Mormon style or if it was very orthodox and kind of strict. Very orthodox. Yep. Very orthodox. We would wake up at six o'clock in the morning, all of us together and sit every morning and read the Book of Mormon. That was the first thing before we even took showers. Mm -hmm. We would sit together for an hour and read the Book of Mormon. We would have family prayers in the morning, everybody together. We would have family prayers at night, everybody together. You know, and just that's that was real. And everybody I knew was doing that, too. Uh -huh. So going to church every single week, trying your hardest just to please the invisible man in the sky, you know, just uh -huh. doing everything like Jesus is looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Um, and so you said you never doubted or had any sort of questions during that whole time. No, my testimony, dude, I remember I started standing up and fasting testimony meeting. Uh -huh. Fast and testimony meaning the people that don't know is Mormons once a month don't eat or drink anything for 24 hours or mm. many of them take their medications <laughs> and, and then and then they'll stand up at the very crescendo of that uh, weakness and they have an opportunity to address the entire congregation just say whatever the spirit moves them to say uh, for a few minutes and I re and it, and it's a very kids stand up and tell people tell a congregation of people from as soon as they can dare to do it that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that jesus is the christ and that joseph smith you know brought the book of mormon using heavenly father's you know 
interpreting stones just just lay out but they'll but there's a big emphasis and you're given kind of a lot of props with your family if you, the more strongly you can say that you have no doubt uh-huh. you know there's never a space in mormonism for doubting because if you ever looked at any applied any kind of critical thinking they don't want to stop that uh-uh. start that happening at all because it does not hold up to any kind of you know imperial empirical evidence uh-huh. or critical thinking or anything like that so you're just encouraged like good cult adherents to stand uh-huh. up as soon as you dare and just tell everybody that you don't have any doubts uh-huh. and so i did that every fast and set testimony meeting every month i would do that for that i did it the first time when i was eight and i uh so 34 years i did that oh wow every month i I stopped when i was 40 and you make a great point about the doubts like you're even encouraged to doubt your doubts you know what i mean yeah like you're supposed to domesticate them you know yeah really get these out of the way um i remember on my mission Fast and testimony Sundays were like the one Sunday you really wanted to avoid bringing any sort of investigator to because it's like anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh, You're going to get some really insane people coming up to the podium at times and and sharing their stories and going on what you were talking about with the little children. Yeah. There's nothing worse than like them blanking up there and then someone has to come and, and tell them what to say verbatim. It's like, okay, yeah, this isn't brainwashing. I've seen kids get up and talk about how they were getting molested at Boy Scouts. You know, just just really, it's anything oh. can happen today. I've, I've seen that you say, if you have ever been touched by your cousin, or if you ever, you know, masturbated to furry porn or something like that, that's where the grief is gonna, and, the, and the guilt is going to overcome you. And you're going to feel like the spirit is compelling you to go stand up and tell the 300 people that you hang out with every, the most, you know, that you jerk off the furry porn <laughs> yeah. and to weep about it and rent your clothing. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a perfect storm. Yeah. Really. I would love to go back now. Just, yeah, I, would just come there exactly. they, I would come there and eat popcorn on the back road just uh, to see who's going to, who's going to break loose this week. But, uh, and I've, I have always in the, it's been now 10, 11 years since I've, uh, quit going to church. I, I have fantasies all the time about going there on fast and testimony meeting, just giving some woke shit, you yeah. know, just get really high in the parking lot, <laughs> just go in there and lay it out for them. Absolutely. But, and, I, and when a push comes to shove, it, you know, it's something better to do that Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever uh, witness somebody getting like the mic shut off on them? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just like, oh, I'm, sure I'm, I'm the Boy Scout leader. Like, let's turn this mic <laughs> off. Oh. It's just people people that start talking about their doubts, really, or people that start laying out shit about the temple, or people that are clearly wacko and just saying crazy, crazy things. I saw a guy up there. I was in a ward that was inside of the boundaries of a military. One of the one of the things inside the ward boundaries was a was a navy base, and so I saw this guy in full military dress. Twenty five year old guy was there going to nuke school in Orlando. And just gets up and just starts crying about how he used to have sex with his cousin and he's never told anybody, but he feels like the Lord won't let him move forward with his life until he until he confessed. They turned the mic off on him and ushered him out of the yeah. building. They walked him back into the bishop's office and I don't know, but it's just something about fasting. Mm-hmm. And if you if you have any screws loose, it will it will loosen them even further. Mm-hmm. 
and people would stop it was the early days of prozac and stuff like that and so pe- people would stop they, pe- they wouldn't take anything they wouldn't take any of their their pills on that day and who knows if that contributed to it but oh. i saw a lot of strange things on fast and testimony jeez Fast and testimony meaning in an Eskimo village is the oh. strangest thing I've ever seen because wow. I was in this Eskimo village and they did not even have a chapel. So what they would do is somebody somebody that was Mormon worked at the airport there. And so you would come as a branch and meet in a, a big 737 that's just frozen out on the runway. And but you they would just have space heaters going so that we could have church inside this inside this this uh, um, airplane. And it would break out into fights sometimes on fast and fast and testimony meeting. Like what? people would get up and and like physically contend with each other over points of doctrine. And there was some strange, strange ideas happening out there in the in the hinterlands of the church. They were there was like there were there was people. There was a guy that taught a priesthood lesson about how to wrap a hat out of tinfoil that will increase your your reception with the Holy Ghost. I just felt the spirit witness to me that that yeah, is true. It, it makes the voices louder. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. That's insane. So um, we'll definitely get to the Eskimo village here in a bit. But um, so those 30 plus years, you probably had just all of the callings you could you could ever get. Yeah. Um, so just worked my way up from, you know, spent a lot of years as a gospel doctrine teacher, spent a lot of years as a as a ward clerk. I spent a lot of years as a um, executive secretary and then as a as every calling in the elders quorum when i finally stopped i was just being it was the sunday i was being released after a long time of being a beloved elders quorum teacher elders quorum president and uh they were about to call me into the bishopric and i bounced wow i bounced to florida to hawaii and just didn't give them any of them my telephone number and was just gone like Kaiser Sosa, just did you tell like them, I never existed. Did you tell them nope. like explicitly, like I'm done with the church, or you just nope? Ghosted. I didn't say a goddamn word, nope, because I knew from experience uh-huh. there was nothing that they. I I had found, I had done my own research and proved to myself that it was baloney, and I had been tell, I had been trying to help people not quit the church for long enough that I knew what they were going to do. As soon as I started talking about it, they would just these outpouring of love and people coming mm-hmm. over to my door and wringing their hands and praying with me. I didn't want any of that. So I did not raise, I did not raise question number one mm-hmm. to anybody. Nobody even knew that I was having any doubt. I was the, the person up there praying the loudest. Mm-hmm. I would go out into the parking lot before elders quorum and I would get high behind the building that we kept the snowblower in. And then I would come in and and teach gospel doctrine or teach not uh, Elvis Quorum. I teach the lesson in Elvis Quorum and just say some amazing. It was where I wish I had recordings of those <laughs> lessons. Because if you read between the lines, I was basically saying there are some problems with the church. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, after a certain amount of time, then there was, I wasn't going to convince anybody that way. And it would have been a shitstorm to yeah. try. And so I just decided to kind of take a lesson out of the witness protection program manual uh-huh. and just move to a different city. Don't tell anybody where I'm going. Don't tell them to turn off everybody's cell phone in the family and get everybody new cell phones when we get to Hawaii. And it's like, it never happened. Uh, that, that's such a disappointment to me because I would have loved to have seen you at general conference, just, sure. just tearing it up. You know, I know you would give a really sure. riveting talk just based on uh just get lit up in the parking lot before you go up into the conference yeah. center 
Well, if they ever make a movie, I hope that that's one place where they embellish. That's, yeah. that's, 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 that's way more interesting than what it happened. That would be a great movie, actually, like a, a stand-up comedy comedian who quits and just joins the Mormon church and works his way yeah. up. For the, the but same. something about preaching, you know, all those years of not being afraid to stand up in front of hundreds of people and teach a lesson for an hour. And, you know, I would try to be funny you know, always when I taught gospel doctrine or elders, the class in elders quorum or any time that I taught, I always tried to be funny. That's where I first realized that I liked doing that mm -hmm. is because it, that was my favorite part of doing it is making mm -hmm. the congregation laugh. And there were a few times the stake president took me aside. And, you know, when you go to the temple, you make a covenant to avoid loud laughter. Mm -hmm. And I believe the penalty for breaking that one is slitting your own throat. We used to, oh. before your day, you know, what, what year did you go through the temple? Uh, 2011. 2011. I went through in 1989. Oh. And at that time, with the associated covenants and that you take in there, for the, there was a penalty that you had to act out. So you had to make the sign, and, uh, and then part of the sign was you would act out either cutting your own throat, disemboweling yourself, or just all kinds of four heinous ways. Oh to kill yourself, which is supposedly the only way that you can ever be forgiven for breaking that. that. So the penalty for loud laughter and speaking evil against the Lord's anointed is that you have to cut your own throat and pull your wow. tongue out, you know? So, uh, but then they started having, they had been having a lot of really strange suicides in Utah oh. where people would, would actually do this thinking that was the only way they could be forgiven for, you know, having a weak moment and telling somebody oh. their temple name. Oh my god! You know, and and so they they took that out of it. Jeez, they took that out of the temple did, in about 1992. Did they make you do that before, or after they like fondled your your genitals? After. After. <laughs> That's a whole crazy day. Yeah. It's like, all right, take your clothes off. We're gonna feel you up, and then yeah, pantomime yeah. your own your own suicide. We're gonna grease up parts of your body, <laughs> and keep your eyes closed. God damn it! Yeah, you know. Jeez, but it's very edifying. I'm sure you felt really good leaving. Oh, yeah. I know I did. Dude, I, I had my endowment done in the Salt Lake Temple. Mm. And then I would I got crazy for it. And I would go like some kind of a star fucker every Thursday morning to the early session because that's when all the brethren would come. Mm. And they would go to the Salt Lake Temple and then they would go upstairs and have their little apostolic ceremonies. But just, I would just go in there and just try and mentally try to check off how many members of the Quorum of the Twelve and oh, Quorum wow. of the Seventy that I'd seen, and I'm just so grossed out by that mm. when I think back about yeah, that. Yeah, that's like, like, that's gayer than loving the Spice Girls. Right? It, just... Yeah, it is. I'm glad. You and said I did it. that for a year. A year, I would just go there just to breathe their fucking aftershave. It's that's such a disappointment when you actually see them out like in the wild. Like I was a, yeah. I was a, I worked at PF Chang's in Salt Lake City. And um, I was working like the to-go orders one night and I go out with my little lettuce wraps and it was Jeffrey R. Holland picking oh. them up and he was kind of a dick. Yeah. I was like, They're kind of dick. he was kind of a dick. I was just like, wow. Like, yeah. You think it was Steven Tyler would have been yeah. nice to you. Yeah. Right. Jeffrey yeah. R. Holland. yeah don't, don't meet your heroes. Um, we had yeah. uh, Quentin L. Cook. I don't know if you know him. Um, he no, came. He came out to my. He, yeah, he came out to my mission. One of the apostles. Um, I served in Ghana, and the Africans were so disappointed because it was built up. This apostle is coming, 
And then he shows up. It's like, oh, is this a regular old dude with a cabbie hat? That's yeah. It just, I I love their ego because they know that they're famous among mm-hmm. their followers, and kind of in some ways it's kind of like comedians, you mm-hmm. know, is because you know regular regular people just walking down the street don't know don't know very many comedians. Mm-hmm. Just the cult of personality that comes up around the around the quorum of the twelve and, the, and to a lesser degree the seventy. It's just like they know they're famous and that they, they 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 walk a little differently when they're on the campus of like BYU mm. versus if they're just, you know, walking down the street in Seattle where nobody knows who the fuck they are. But they walk around like they're wizards or something like that. If you can catch them in their own environment, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Uh-huh. Now, it's kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, you had all these callings. Did you yourself, did you go on a mission? I did not serve a mission. So I went... Uh, when I was 19, I felt that I needed to go serve a full-time mission, and I did not want to burden my family with that. So at that time, there was a fixed number that they, they if you, the mission cost $10,000. So they assumed that you needed to save $10,000, and just everybody paid the same amount of money, because therefore it made it fair. So if you went to South America versus if you went to Tokyo, you know, it, your mission still cost ten grand. And so I wanted to, I felt it would mean more to me if I saved that money for myself. So I had been working in the radio industry for four years while I was in high school and answered an ad to go work in on this radio station out in the middle of nowhere, dude. When I tell you there was no roads in or out of this place, it's on the extreme west coast of Alaska, a little, a little Eskimo village called Dillingham. Population, maybe a few hundred people. And uh, for whatever reason, I'm not saying it was absolutely the CIA, but for whatever reason, somebody came out in there and put a multi-million dollar national public radio mm. radio station out there in the middle of the tundra, and it would just brought and it had a massive, massive. Uh, it was just a flamethrower of a, of a signal that would that would just push national public radio mm. into Siberia, basically. Wow. And so, from the hours of six o'clock in the morning until um, 10 o'clock at night, we would just pump all that good national public radio propaganda into Russia. And then after 10 o'clock at night, they didn't care what we we did. And so I was a club DJ a little bit. And so I brought this couple milk crates full of 12 inch singles and and I would just hook up both turntables and just basically play club music for the last two hours of every night. And then an Eskimo lady, a recording of an Eskimo lady singing in the National Star Spangled Banner would come on, and then we would turn it off from midnight till six o'clock in the morning. But they paid fabulous, mm-hmm. fabulous money. So I went out there and did that for a year to save my ten thousand dollars. But I got lonely. First time yeah. away from Utah, yeah. really. So it was a big culture shock, and I got lonely. And it was before the days of FaceTime. I was just sending my family letters and shit. Mm-hmm. So I got lonely, and there was. I'm, and, the, and I got married. I met some chick in the Eskimo village, married her for the worst reason of all, which is she was the only other white person in this Eskimo village. You know, figured that was going to be some enough to have, to have in common. It would yeah. cross all the food needs to get to know her. What do you need to know? She's white. So knew her for two weeks and got married uh, in the Eskimo village, just by the local branch guy there. She converted to the Mormon church so that I would marry her. Mm-hmm. 
and uh and that was it so if you're married you don't you can't serve a full-time mission yeah so then for the next five six years every ward that we were in we would get called as ward missionaries so that we could serve our mission Mm -hmm. so we served our mission in anchorage and served our mission in uh evanston wyoming and we served Mm -hmm. our mission in orlando florida essentially but together it's about knocking out knocking on doors you know going in there and 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 teaching people the the discussions and Mm -hmm. just whatever with the full-time missionaries did you have to follow the same like schedule or were you kind of free no no you're just free you do it you do it about 40 hours a week but it's all evenings and weekends uh so yeah, yeah. i so i, I didn't serve a full-time mission all my brothers did you know yeah. and uh but i was the only one that that didn't do that and in some ways i don't know man it's in some ways that was almost better in some ways it was worse i look at them the full-time missionaries and think that would have been fun especially since i didn't go to college i got married right off it's just kind of a time to just be young and fuck around but you're really not doing anything that young people do anyway like i look at my daughters now in college just having a regular college experience and i'm like that would have been a blast you know Uh and uh i never really had that i got married at 20 just barely 20 uh and was married for 21 years so the first girl i you know whose boobs i ever saw yeah (laughs) <laughs> it was just, it was just yeah, frozen in amber. Huge motivator. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. she was the best-looking girl in the Eskimo village. Mm-hmm. But you know, we didn't live in that Eskimo village for very long. Yeah. And she was so willing to convert too. Just prime. She was for, looking to get for the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah, she was looking. She would have joined the Hari Krishnas if it would have gotten yeah. married in Eskimo village. She was. She had just moved there from Minnesota because her dad had gotten a job as the chief of police. And she was looking around and going, no, this is mm-hmm. not, this is not me. Yeah. Cause I know so many just in different wards growing up and stuff. Just, yeah, you know, we, I knew 24 hours after meeting her that she was going to be my wife or we dated for two weeks and you know, we've been married for 30 years and it's, we're, we're totally happy. Don't you believe us? It's like, there's okay. a premium put on those kind of bullshit stories. Like I remember you from the pre-existence kind of bullshit mm-hmm. so that you think I have, I have friends that they they liked each other in elementary school we all went through school together and they graduated i see them every five years at our class reunions and they're they've been together for he's like 40 years and they still are just goofy happy uh-huh. they seem goofy happy together but i gotta figure that that is mostly pills the rare exception oh man dude that's there's got to be just train wreck stories for everything. that's so rare Oh, so yeah. rare and so stunting too mm-hmm. to only ever obsess about that just that just stunts you as a human being i believe you need to have your heart stomped on a bunch of times and you need to you know i don't you just need you need more dirt in your oyster mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and now when you met her like how quick did you pull out that mormon card were you like very right away she was trying to get me to have sex with her and i would not Mm. like she would she would come to the radio station and she would take off her clothes she would lock the door in this little radio station and she would take off her clothes and chase me around trying to get me to touch touch her and i would not you know i would raise my arm to the square and rebuke her and just (laughs) tell her that i wasn't going to do that and i would close my eyes and make her leave and 
so it was two weeks of that. And then one day I touched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know made a stone. God damn it. And so like one day I touched it. And then, so, uh, 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 the very next day I showed up and said, okay, we had sex, so we have to get married. Mm-hmm. So we, I wasn't going to stop having sex. I knew if you've repented of having sex, they make the first thing they tell you to do is don't talk to that person anymore. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to head that train off at the past. So I just went and got married quick and then repented. And then they can't tell you not to talk to your, not to talk yeah. to your wife. So they just were like, well, okay, well, let's get you temple worthy. And they just mm-hmm. baptized her. And uh, I had to repent, which took, I think it was a year. Mm-hmm. And then I went, through, and then I went to the temple and got my own endowment found. And then she, a couple of years later, wow. went and got her endowment found. We got sealed in the uh, Atlanta, Georgia temple. Wow. That's actually a... Because pretty... we were living in Orlando at the time. Yeah, that's What's actually, that? That's actually a pretty nice temple, the Atlanta temple. I like, yeah, I like the inside. Is. Yeah. But, Man, um, they're all so damn similar. Yeah, yeah. It's got like some The Salt nice, Lake like... Temple is the only one that's really different. Yeah, that's really ornate. Um, the one in Ghana and Accra, they, they threw a little Ghanaian culture into it a little bit here and there. So it's got some, like, some a little more spice to it, but... Oh, that's cool. Still definitely whitewashed, for sure, you know? just like what they do with the church down there. But what are you going to do? Yeah. But, um, yeah. so she, Oh yeah. How do you, how do you cover that as a missionary? The fact that basically blacks were repeated as a second class citizen until in my lifetime, I was in the sacrament mm-hmm. meeting when they read the thing that the black people could have the priesthood. People stood up and walked out. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. It was in Smithfield, Utah, though. None of us had ever actually seen a black person in person. People got up and walked out because it just, it, it just messed with their ideas of how the world was supposed to work. You know, mm-hmm. no, they were less valiant than the pre-existed. So how do you cover, do you just not talk about that as a missionary in Ghana? Yeah. In Ghana, you don't really bring it up because they, cause they're not going to bring it up. You know what I mean? So they it's don't like, know. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind kind of was the uh, approach to it. Um, yeah. They had more, mm-hmm. they had just different concerns based on like the brand of Christianity that they were accustomed to. Yeah. Um, so when you try to introduce the Book of Mormon, um, the big common thing was that they thought it was called the Book of Mammon, and there's something in the Bible like you know not to serve mammon, mammon is yeah, money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was really more of a an obstacle than anything else. I mean, they had a <laughs> they had a weird freeze like in the late '80s where the government didn't allow the church in because they thought it was a front for the CIA or something like yeah. that. But yeah, fortunate. I was really just delighted really that I served overseas because I did not want to go to like Kentucky or Ogden Ogden yeah or something like that you know what I mean and when I was there just like the worst thing that could happen would be running into like another American just because like how how do I explain what I'm even doing right now it's like yeah yeah no you're right I should be at college but I'm just so what what broke your shelf? What was the thing that uh, that got you that doubting that for the first time? That got me. I guess the first time I really like questioned was on my mission, where I was just kind of doing some personal study one night, um, and I came across the DNC um, Doctrine and Covenant section where it talks about um, Joseph Smith's experience at uh, Carthage, and I had never really, I guess I'd never really analyzed like 
that he had like tried to jump out the window and all this kind of stuff. And so I had that first bout of cognitive dissonance, like, whoa, my idea of a yeah. martyr is way different than a guy like doing everything he can to stay alive. Because yeah. he had to have all these different materials that I had never had access to in the apartment. He had they a were gun. So old. He had a he gun. Had yeah. Gun. <laughs> it was crazy. And I was just like, that's weird. Just like really having a whole crisis. And then I just shrugged it off like, well, I'm sure. God, yeah. God knows. You know, that's, that's deeper. Yeah. Than and you and you decide to just the funny thing is, is you just decide to like not think about that too much. And then that happens with something else and then something else and then oh. something else. And it just becomes, I remember thinking, you know, there's that story about him. Um, he's got the, he's got the plates up there and then an angry mob's coming to take the plates mm -hmm. and tar and feather him. And so he throws the plates in a gunny sack and go, throws them over his shoulder and runs through the woods and narrowly escapes the mob and saves the plates, right? Mm -hmm. So when he tells this story, not and he gives physical dimensions as to how big the, the golden plates are. And gold is denser than any other mm -hmm. metal. So he had, no, he had never seen that much gold before. And I don't believe he'd ever tried to lift that much metal because that would have been roughly the weight of a truck engine mm. that he talks about throwing into a gunny sack yeah. and carrying through the woods. And the fact that he used to just la 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 lift all the, lift the plates out of the you would have need a chain hoist to get the plates out of a out of a wooden box and put them on your table. And it better be a goddamn strong table yeah. too because that's and, and that much that much gold would weigh like four hundred pounds, mm -hmm. like an old rickety wood table. But he was the yeah. strongest guy around. He out wrestled sure. everybody. The little stick wrestling. Yeah, that's true. Stick so pulling. I have no. Yeah, I forgot about the stick pulling. Stick pulling. I have no problem believing that he was able to do that. Yeah, that was a New England martial art back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. So I guess, um, well, kind of back to the like my shelf items thing. When I find when I learned about James Strand, if you know him, with the Kinderhook plates, where he made. Remind it, me. He uh he joined the church like four months before Joseph Smith was killed, and he was okay. one of the you know group of guys that like tried to vie for leadership, and so okay. he had he had this letter from Joseph Smith, and then he used that to say, oh I'm I'm gonna be the next prophet, and so he had a got got quite a bit of followers like Martin Harris endorsed him, he went out to okay. Wisconsin, then he went to Michigan, and there's this island in Michigan, where he kind of just started his own sect. And he made his own scriptures, he made his own plates, etched little hieroglyphics into them, showed them to the public. He just freely yeah. showed it. And everyone was like, yeah, this seems like a, a prophet to me. So I was like, oh, if a contemporary could do that, I'm sh it seems to me Joseph Smith could have It seems definitely like it seems, made some stuff up. For sure. And it, and it seems to me, and there's so many things, like Joseph Smith, the first vision story, he didn't mention it to anybody for 12 years. He's had many different versions of it. He obviously, when you look at it as just now, I think here's a guy that was born poor in a part of New England, and he looked around and saw, you know, the only options really in my life are going to be either hard manual labor until the day I die, or I can start slinging some bullshit. Uh -huh. And the interesting thing for me for about all religions with a prophet at the top is – 100% of them have to be atheists oh. because there's an atheist at the top of every 
uh, story like that because only somebody who knows that there is no God would make up stories about hanging out with him. And so that's just the, the, so he starts telling these stories about pirate gold that's been hidden on your farm and there's Indian curses that make it move. If we dig down, don't dig down far enough and I need a little bit more money. And he would, he was running that scam for a while and then he got in legal trouble for that. Uh And so it was just like, Oh, well that's no good. But if I do it, for religious reasons, well, that's just considered an article of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's, it's protected under the Constitution. So he just changes his bullshit and puts a little, puts in a little bit of Jesus, and uh, suddenly he's protected as a, as a religion. And he just goes out there and just, you know, he gets caught fucking his his maid, and mm-hmm. so he invents. He's like, well, God told me that I should fuck her, and uh, he told me that if you're cool with it, you can fuck her too. You know, kind of it was just kind of the way polygamy started. <laughs> and it was just like the growth of this. This guy's just he's making he's just a bullshit artist. Mm-hmm. I would have actually probably liked him in, yeah. in the in real life just for his ability to just unabashedly sling some shit. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's nobody that you want to spend your life not masturbating because he told you that it's bad. You're right. You know, exactly. I say, I don't want to, I don't want to lose my life to anybody, but he, as bullshit artists go, that is a, uh, he's, he's in he's, the he's hall top, of famers. Definitely. Yeah. I would have loved to start like an improv group with Joseph Smith and Brigham yeah, Young. He'd have fucked everybody's girlfriend. Yeah. It would have been great. <laughs> but, um, so learning that stuff, was that kind of your major shelf like issues as history related yeah history and the big the, the thing that broke my shelf was more of a logic thing uh-huh. uh so logically if you think about it just from the management structure of you know if you're god and you're going to choose which of your creations that you're going to give godlike power to why would you want to promote only the gullible ones Uh the ones that never question that never apply any critical thinking to it whatsoever is that who you want to give godlike powers Uh to did that make any sense as far as what i know about leadership or what it would take to become a god and that for whatever reason that was it for me Uh i was just like yeah that doesn't make any sense you if you were going to promote if you were going to promote anybody it would be the ones that doubted turned against the bullshit and then you would go you know what it was a test the whole congratulations Uh here's the remote control you know that's what you but it's no it's only the people and the only the only kind of organization that you you would promote the gullible is a cult Uh that's very true now when you kind of were discovering these things were you sharing them with your wife or like how was her journey with all this This all happened on my salvia trip so for the first time really uh ever i was without any kind of family i wasn't going to church in 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 tyler and so i just had all day long on the internet to look at mormons and church history and to just sort of like think about these things and i would read a bunch of articles and stuff like that online and a bunch of apologetics and you know just amazed at the degree to which people would go to try to make all these things fit within the gospel bubble so uh yeah it was mostly on so when i laid down on my friend's floor you know i was a slightly questioning slightly rebellious mormon in my mind but i had never really mentioned it to my wife i was afraid to because everywhere i look looked around anybody who did that got a divorce Uh you know 
and uh that still is a very true thing yeah. you know every 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 place that i've ever seen that where that that happens it's it, it, well, it, it, a divorce happens eventually and uh so I, I didn't say anything but on the salvia trip i just was it had eight eight year long think uh -huh. about what i really believed without even the ability to talk to anybody about it so i didn't have you know, a concerned elders quorum president coming over and being like, come on, man, you don't want to mess up your mm -hmm. life. You don't, you don't want to never see your kids after you die. That's, that's, mm -hmm. you know, so I just had free range with my own thoughts and came out the other side, woke, stood up from the, from the floor in the, in that gun room. And my kids will tell you, everything yeah. changed, you know? <laughs> wow. So you, during this trip, you were literally engaging in like in-depth research on in doctrines and, and, and Mormonism. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, it, so it must be because that stuff was all in my head or something mm -hmm. like that. But, uh, but yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. The internet was, was full of that stuff mm -hmm. in Tyler, yeah. in the world, I guess, as it is, yeah. you know? Wow. That's, that's interesting. Like I, yeah, I've done mushrooms like once. And it's nothing like that, so I can't imagine like being so nothing gone like mushrooms. into the ether. Yeah, it's nothing like mushrooms. It's just like this is the problem. Mm. So it's they, you, nothing, there's nothing even mushroom like it, so that you can go, oh, I'm tripping. You're just like, oh, I'm, I have brain damage. Yeah. Wow. That's that sounds really scary, actually. And then I know you've kind of talked. Yeah, about it was that. horrible. Yeah, but um, jeez, salvia. Like, how is that, how's that, le how that legal? No, um, I hear, you know, like Joe Rogan and stuff talk about it. I would be curious to try it just because I, I think it's a lot shorter than what you were so describing. But yeah. I, I would be a little hesitant too. It's short and there's no come down. Like you, you at the end of the 10 minutes or whatever, you're as fine as you were before. Oh. Your body just knows, oh, I know exactly what to do with that chemical and just reabsorbs it back into your, into your system. There's no hangover. There's no, there's no aftershocks of any kind. Oh. I did, I did mushrooms hundreds of times. Yeah. But I lived in Hawaii because they grew just natural everywhere oh. in the cow shed. So. Wow. And so you said right after that, just everything shifted pretty quick. So how long until you were like officially, Gone? I'm separating. We immediately sold our business for whatever we could get it for we immediately sold our house for whatever we could get for it and we're gone that just happened at christmas i believe we were gone by spring oh wow wow and then your kids did they decide to kind of stay back or were they like let's make the the transition with you they all they as soon as i mentioned it my wife and all four of my kids were just like yeah fuck church yeah because i think really i had been the only one who've been super into it, singing all the songs as loud oh. as I could, trying to get them all to come have family prayer like I used to have when I was a kid, trying to get them all to wake up and read scriptures and they never wanted to, trying to get them to have family home evening and they never wanted oh. to. You know, so I was the one pushing them all these years apparently to be Mormon. And so as soon as I decided that we weren't going to do that anymore, to a certain extent, they were like, thank you. Oh. you know? You're a little bit crazy with that shit. Yeah, definitely a little overzealous. And they're and they're and as a result, they don't have any. My daughter still sometimes goes as a goof, mm. you know, just to just for funsies. Mm. 
and uh i told her not to do that because cults are dangerous but um but yeah she doesn't seem to have any 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 hangover from it at all even though she was yeah. you know 16 or so when yeah quit. wow i mean yeah that's good absolutely because as obviously as we know a lot of people have really intense hang-ups you know trying to yeah. get out mm-hmm. yeah so overall like how how's life been for you since you made that decision been terrible oh no <laughs> they're right what they say that's the funny thing uh yeah it's been you know I, I used to i used to have this perfect mormon family you know and this, i used to have this perfect little life and lived in this house that we built ourselves and had this business that we ran as a family and i just had hundreds of friends around at all times that would come help me do whatever mm-hmm. you know and i thought i had magic powers and i thought that i was being led by a benevolent father in heaven that was watching in on me and i was his you know i just knew in my heart i was his favorite and mm-hmm. and uh i felt like i was watched out for and that there was i knew exactly why i was alive and i knew exactly what was going to happen to me when i died and now man I the older I get, the less I know, uh-huh. and I hate that. I hate that I'm not special. I hate that there's no railing on this road. I hate that there's there's not. I, I don't believe. I don't. I'm pretty sure that none of this is happening. I'm pretty sure that none of this is real. I'm pretty sure that if it is real, then there's no plan to it. It's random as hell, and that's scary. <laughs> and I hate not having hundreds of family members and friends around that I can just call on any second. And though in some ways my life is way more authentic now because I get to express myself through stand-up comedy and comedy in every way has come in and, and kind of filled that hole that was in my soul. But it's not as good. Mm. It's not as good as thinking you have magic powers and that your underwear are magic and the mm-hmm. bullets will bounce off of them. And that if anything, God forbid, should happen to you, that you're just going to be reunited, reunited with all your friends and families, and everything's going to be fine, and you're going to be a god someday. Mm. It's not as good, but that doesn't make it true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I hate that I got tricked. I hate that I spent 40 years of my life not masturbating or having sex with anybody and not watching R-rated movies and not listening to good music and not doing anything fun. I hate that I spent my youth going to church fucking 40 hours a week. Uh, Dude, that's insane. Yeah. I hate that I spent 10% of my pre-tax income every single year and I got nothing to show for. I got no kind of savings for retirement, but I... I just feathered their beds. Mm-hmm. They, the same fucking vampires that have been sucking off of my family's tip for seven generations. My family bled for that church. Mm-hmm. My family killed for that church. My family did terrible things. You look at some of the deeds to, of our old properties. There were twice, there's twice that they signed that all over to the church because of the United Order, because the church mm-hmm. needed 
you know, everybody's money. Mm-hmm. So they gave everything twice in the, in the, in the history of my family, wow. you know, you know, I put magic underwear on my dad and put dressed him in temple clothes before I buried him. You know, that's, it's insane. Yeah. I regret all of it, but it's not as good. Mm. Wow. It's a magic bubble. That is, what you're saying is definitely true. I mean, I think last episode, uh, my guess, we kind of discussed that a little bit. Just, you still find yourself just kind of missing just like the ritual of yep. that you know there's so much structure like when you get off of a mission it's like kind of stockholm syndrome a little bit as well just because um it wasn't all great but you kind of convince yourself that it was all great and then you yep. get home and you just feel like you're floating because just for 24 months 24 7 you've known exactly what you're supposed to do the answers are all given to you and to have those yeah. just kind of taken out, like, whole cloth like that is very scary, yeah. you know. And so I know a lot of people, you know, share the same sentiments that you're kind of expressing. So uh, yeah. I do appreciate that you were, you know, willing to really be vulnerable and kind of speak from the heart. Because that's what people really need to hear. That's what's really cathartic. Absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I got family members and they're all still fucking ate up, ate up with the Joseph Smith. And they're just, they just live their lives. And they're so, they're so confident because they've got, they got their head up their ass so far they can't even see their neck, you know, essentially. And that's a happy place, but it's, so is heroin probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you said, (laughs) but it's not real, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. Reality costs something. Mm -hmm. It costs happiness, unfortunately. A little bit. You know, all you can kind of do is kind of find the things that can bring you some sort of fulfillment, you know, in in, yeah. in that absence. But does your family, like, they refuse to speak to you at all because of your decision to leave? Some of them shunned me altogether. Some of them shunned me and never spoke to me again. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were afraid of me and wary of me when it first happened, but then have since realized that I'm not going to try to take the kids away from the church or whatever mm-hmm. but it was a weird thing because i was the oldest member of my family i was kind of the patriarch of a big irish family and that just went away overnight suddenly yeah. it was just i was i was an object of derision and not scorn but suspicion mm-hmm. and they were gonna see and to a certain extent they have seen my life because now I used to be rich when I was Mormon and now I am poor because I'm a stand-up comedian and they see that as evidence of God punishing me because I have taken off my garments Mm. or whatever, you know? And so, but they don't see the joy that the comedy gives me as worth Mm. whatever, but they don't see that I, I didn't trade one for the other. I just traded one for the truth. And then the other happened because I wasn't going to church all the time and I need some way to talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I turned to stand up comedy because I couldn't really afford that much therapy. So, yeah. so, you know? so as you're doing stand up, as a lot of your material, does it kind of reference Mormonism? All of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit, I talk, I, that's chiefly what I talk about. Mm-hmm. Stories about being Mormon, stories about not being Mormon, stories about that are, just about normal things that people do 
that are slightly weird to me because I grew up in a cult, essentially, uh-huh. which is just me making sense of me making sense of the world. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, and definitely, um, guys that are listening, you got to check out Steve's Crab, Fest, Crab Feast episodes because um, he does share some really hilarious stories. Um, and it's it's a, it's a lot more lighthearted than kind of what we're getting. <laughs> the wait you were mormon podcast right um so it's right. A, so it's a nice after this just hop on over there listen to those and kind of uh get a little of that, lev- that levity back but yeah um that's really interesting i'd love to um have you done any like zoom shows or anything like that during this pandemic or what's i've done one that's dude you know comedians doing zoom shows is like alcoholics drinking mouthwash yeah you know it's just like it'll keep you from going into shock but it's not it's not good it's it's terrible i did i did one recently there were nine people watching and you can't see or hear any of them and then they tip you at the end which is nice but uh yeah it was just basically me standing alone in my kitchen talking to my camera for a half hour Mm. Yeah, can't see anything. Yeah, then... it's not it's not even close to the same rush mm-hmm. of being on a stage in front of hundreds of people, mm-hmm. you know, with all that energy and it's, there's a real disconnect. Even just um, I find doing these podcasts, we have to do them all, um, yeah. you know, at a distance like this, and I, I feel like you know if you were in the room, just all that energy. I mean, we've shared some laughs and stuff like that, but if you're yeah. actually in the same physical space, it's 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 such a greater experience, but something special about it but, you know thank god for these because you know there might not be the for, for a new podcast like yours there you might not have the the, the funding to fly me out there yeah. to sit there person to person with you so exactly. in some ways these zoom meetings is perfect for podcasting mm-hmm. because the other great thing about podcasting which is, makes it way better than radio is it, it takes it completely out of the space-time continuum mm-hmm. when i would do radio shows I would do sometimes brilliant radio shows, and then they, if you didn't happen to live in that town, and if you did not happen to be tuned into the radio that day, that was just gone forever. But now with podcasts, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter when you discover me. You can go on that laughable app, and every single podcast that I've ever been on will come up, and you can just discover Steve Cantwell or whoever. And it's just, it, it'll be that way forever. It's a little piece of immortality for yeah, podcasting. That's true. It is really awesome, um, but I would love to experience that physical in-person kind of dynamic that would be really great when yeah. we finally get out the other side of all this. It's been quite, yeah. a, quite a hell. Yeah, if, you know. I mean, New Zealand beat it and it came back. Yeah. So. This might be it. And that this might be a simulation, dude, yeah. of us living the last 20 years where people were still epidemiologically able to go hang out with each other and go hang out on the beach and play frisbee in the park before we all had to go live underground and so now we all play a sim where we get to play in the sunshine with each other so dude as the year goes on the more the more and more that that appeals to me that kind of train of thought um what is kind of the idea like you know at the end of the day as you're like sleeping or something that's when you're like your characters taken out of the game or something like that yeah why do we there's no there's no reason why we all have to unplug for eight hours animals too why should that be why should we need to just unplug from who we are for eight hours there's no Mm -hmm. biological reason why we have to sleep 
players need a rest. You can't you can't play Sims all day, unfortunately. Dude, and your brain can fire off an entire human lifetime. I was on that, that Salvia trip. Took forty five seconds in the real world. Eight years took forty five seconds. So that means that your brain is capable of of compressing time to the point where you can live an entire human uh, lifetime in a minute. Uh, Who wouldn't do that? I would do that all day long if that was a video game. I would do crazy things yeah. if I knew it was a sim. That's why they tell. That's why they make you forget that it's a sim, because mm-hmm. otherwise it would just be everybody screaming from a burning rooftop with yeah. a machine gun in their hand. You know, yeah, it would be all Grand Theft Auto, and we want to keep it nice and calm, so we pretend that it's not a sim. Yeah, I, I love it when my player just makes me like lay in my room alone, just listening to music. It's very. It must be very riveting. Like, very Wondering good. whether or not this yeah. is a game. Yeah, two to three hour stretch. Like, ooh. I'm loving this. Man, you wasted your quarter, my yeah, friend. Yeah, <laughs> you could do way cooler stuff. But um, yeah. I guess so. Where, where are your belief? Where do your beliefs lie right now? Like predominantly, is it in this idea that everything's a simulation, or do you find solace in some sort of other philosophy? I don't believe in anything, really. I'd say that that probably qualifies me as a nihilist. Mm-hmm. I'm not completely sure. I believe in love. You know, and I'm not even completely, I don't know what the fuck I believe, really. But I, I don't really, I try not to believe in anything. Uh-huh. Because I find that I am easily duped. The okay. fact that I was afraid of the dark until I was 40 means that I am pretty gullible. And, uh-huh. my, and, and uh, so I, I don't allow myself really to try to get into, I think if I were to take a transcendental meditation class, I would come out the other side wearing a scarf all the time. So I just, I try to stay away from that kind of thing because mm-hmm. I'm one long plane, plane ride away from becoming a, a vegan, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, I'm a big stand-up comedy fan. I love stand-up comedy. Um, and so I find like, hey, man, if, uh, if that's your calling and you throw everything into a craft like that, an art form that, you know, brings you joy and fulfillment, like maybe comedy is, you know, that's, that's a religion. In a sense, you can kind of get... Um, yeah into that role with that yeah and you know to a certain extent i say there's nothing like you know the members of a ward to come and help you but really comedians are like that mm. too comedians are there for you comedians because it's so rare dude that people like 99 percent of the world is terrified of public speaking mm. you know and the other one percent will fight fight over yeah, the microphone thrive on it and it, and the and that one percent, they all recognize we recognize that in each other, mm-hmm. and we that 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 is the that is, you know, that's the closest thing to real magic that mm-hmm. I've ever seen is the ability to stand up in front of a crowd and just making sounds with your mouth, mm-hmm. make everybody in the room have convulsions mm-hmm. in in unison. That's the closest thing to to magic I've seen, and the chasing of that magic makes a strong brotherhood. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it is, uh, it sounds like quite a community, you know, to land in. Um, yeah. So that's very interesting. But I guess just as we're kind of winding down, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share? No, I think that's good. Other than, other than that, maybe it's good that I'm a mystery. All right, yeah. All right. Well, um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, no. Follow me on uh, Instagram at, uh, what is it? The Steve Cantwell. 
or is it my it favorite is the, Steve? the Steve Cantwell mm-hmm. on Instagram I'm the Steve Cantwell you can kind of watch me they're not doing much in comedy but you can watch me post pictures of me Shoshogi bonding the inside of my van and uh, and then when there is comedy I'll post about it there on Twitter which I almost never fuck with uh, it's the Steve Cantwell and um, you know download the laughable app listen to this podcast on the laughable app but also all those crab feast episodes and all the other you know podcasts that i've ever done will come up and that's a good way to to get to know me awesome well again thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me i had a good time it was nice to get some laughs in especially with everything that's going on right now so you know thanks dude i appreciate you making the effort keep providing that to people really appreciate it all right thank you i'll talk to you soon have a good one Bye. bye Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.